Well, today, if you got your Bibles, why don't you open them up to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We are continuing our series called Origin Story. And in this series, we're looking at Moses' origin story. See, we can focus so much on how God used him mightily. We can look at Moses and we just see, man, he was the deliverer. He got to cross the Red Sea. He got to uh, get the Ten Commandments. He, he got to be in the presence of God so much that his face was glowing. We think this guy is like a superhero in the Bible. We say, I can't do that. I, I couldn't do that. That's too great. But as we look at this story, as we look at his origin story, we see that, that Moses was a guy like you and I. He, he had his flaws, he had his weaknesses, he had his issues, he had his problems. And let me tell you what, if God can use Moses, God can use you too. God can use you too. And, and so as we've, we've looked the last couple weeks, the first week we saw that Moses had to be rescued before, he could, before God could use him to be a rescuer. He had to be rescued first. He had to be rescued from that, that bloody decree that the, the Pharaoh gave that all uh, Hebrew boys had to be murdered. God rescued him. God, God brought everything in line. We also saw last week that, that Moses needed to be broken before God could build him up into who he wanted to create him to be. Right? God, he had to be, Moses had to be broken first before God could rebuild him, before God could shape him, before God could use him. And so it's been clear to see in these first couple of weeks that humility... Humility is, is a big theme in the story of Moses. When pride built up, he failed. When he tried to rescue the Israelites on his own, he, he failed. He, he was humbled. But when he was humbled, that's when growth came. That's when victory came. And we'll see that theme of humility continue today. So, so far in Moses' life, we've seen the struggle. We, we've seen him fail, we, we've seen the hardships in his life, but today's exciting because today, today is, is when we see Moses' call. Today is the day when we see everything change. Today is the day when we see Moses become Moses, right? Israel's leader, that's when we see it happen. I mean, this is the moment when everything changes. I mean, in, in superhero terms, this is like Peter Parker getting bit by that radioactive spider, right? And he becomes... Uh, uh, Spider-Man, that's his name, right? This is, this is the moment when Bruce Banner, uh, he, he encounters gamma rays and he becomes the Hulk. This is the moment in Moses' life, just like Steve Rogers gets that super serum and he becomes Captain America. This is where Barry Allen gets hit by lightning and becomes the Flash, right? This is where Moses becomes Moses because he encounters the presence of God and everything changes. And he becomes the leader of Israel's, uh, of God's people, the leader of Israel, right? God calls him. Do you believe that God can call you today? Do you believe that God can call you today? Think about that. So let me do a little test on seeing whether or not God can call you. Are you ready for this? Uh, don't raise your hand, but I want you to keep score. All right? See how many points you can get in this, in this really fun test. You can even write it down if you want to. All right? I've got five questions, so there's a total of five points that you can score to see if, if God's ready to call you. All right? So you get a point today. If you are 80 or older, all right, you don't raise your hand. If you're 80 years or older, I know it's not fair. If you're 80 years or older, you get a point. We'll say 70 and older, you get a half a point, all right? But if you're 80 or older, 80 or better, you get a point. You get a point today if you feel like you have little or no influence, all right? Do you have little or maybe the only people you have influence over is your family. If that's the way you feel today, that nobody really listens to you or respects you, you get a point. You didn't know you could get a point for no influence. How about this one? 
If you've got skeletons in your closet, you've got things that you aren't proud of, things that you don't want to share with anybody, things that you regret, you get a point today. You get a point today. Uh, ooh, this one's good. If you live, if you feel like you live in the middle of nowhere, you get a point, right? You get a point if you feel like you live in the middle of nowhere. And, and lastly, you get a point today if you think that your best days are behind you. Get a point. Your best days are behind you. Now you're thinking, that seems like a really weird quiz. And you're right. But let me tell you what. If you scored a perfect five out of five, then you've got a lot in common with Moses. You've got a lot in common with Moses. See, Moses, when God called him, was 80 years old. He was 80. We, we see that in Acts chapter 7. It says that he was 40 when he went into the desert and took another 40 years before God spoke to him out in the desert. Moses was 80. Uh, Moses, while he's living in the desert, he's got little to no influence. In the palace, he had lots of influence. Right? People, people would see him and, and they think, oh man, that's somebody with authority. But out in the desert, he's got influence maybe with his family and maybe over some, some animals, right, that he's the shepherd of. And that's it. He's little to no influence. Moses, he, he literally had a skeleton not in his closet, but, but buried in the sand back in Egypt. Right? Uh, he had some things he wasn't proud of. Moses was living in the middle of nowhere. He, he was living in a desert. He was li living in the wilderness. That, that was Moses. And Moses, at 80 years old, thought his best days were behind him. Right? The best days. Oh, that, that, was, that was back when. Man, that, that was back when. But I, I don't have a future. So you think about that. If you scored a perfect five for five, you're an awful lot like Moses today. You're an awful lot like, like, like Moses. And, and I love how God calls the least likely among us to display his great power. He calls the least likely among us. So if you think you've got excuses today, man, Moses had excuses. And, and, and Moses' once promising life didn't pan out the way that he thought it would. And that's where we are when we start this passage. I mean, Moses is just, he's 80, he's in the middle of nowhere, he's got no influence. How is God going to use him? So Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. We pick it up there. It says, during that long period... Those, those 40 years while Moses was in the wilderness. It says the king of Egypt died. The Pharaoh died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We'll pause there for a moment. So this, this passage here, it's got two different groups of people. First off, you've got the Israelites, right? You've got God's people. They are still stuck in slavery. I mean, they have been there for 400 years. And I wonder how the Israelites felt at this point. They're, they're thinking, God, you promised Right? You promised to give us the promised land. You, you promised to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. But here we are. It's been 400 years. We're in hard labor. We're in slavery. We keep crying out to you. God, do you even care? God, do you even notice? Do you even remember us? Did you forget about your promise, God? If God took 400 years to answer one of your prayers, you'd probably feel abandoned too. 
You know, some of you have been praying for many years. 400 years they've been waiting. God, give us this promise. God, help us to get into the promised land. God, deliver us. Maybe today you, you feel abandoned or you feel forgotten or you feel like God doesn't know, notice you. He doesn't know where you are. He, he doesn't hear your prayers. So no matter how much you do to, to cry out to God, nothing changes. Maybe, maybe you feel like the Israelites today. Or maybe, maybe you feel like Moses in this passage, right? Moses, he felt like he lost his chance, that this was all that was left in life. This is, this is my lot in life. I'm just going to be out here in the desert tending to the sheep until the day I die. And he's, he's 80 years old. He's stuck in the desert. He's living the life of the shepherd. And the worst part of it, it says he's, he's tending his father-in-law's flock. He's 80 years old, and he still doesn't have his own flock yet. Right? He, it's like he's living in his father-in-law's basement or something like that. I mean, that, that's what's going on. It's just like, God, how, how can you use me? I'm not even leading my own team. I'm still leading the charge for my father-in-law. Now, it doesn't say this, but I can imagine that, that Moses probably just kept looking back. You know, he'd go up to his wife, Zipporah, you know, I'm just guessing here. Maybe he's like, hey, Zip, remember, remember when I was young and strong, right? You remember, remember when, oh, I wish you could have seen me. I, I was in the palace. I had a When I walked by, people bowed down to me. Right? I had a thought. I was the smartest in my class. I was the strongest. You know, his wife's probably sitting there like, yep, heard this one before. I, I know. Yeah, you told me that yesterday. Thinking about his son, Gershom. You know, Moses is telling him all these stories about what it was like living in Egypt, what it was like to be on top of the world. And his son never saw him that way. His, his son probably thought, okay, Dad, you're telling me this fairy tale again. You know, I don't believe it. You know, you're, you're this old guy, chef. No, you, I can't see that. You weren't the strongest. You weren't the smartest. You, you weren't all these things. You're just telling me quite the story. So Moses had to feel discouraged. He probably thought he missed his shot. He thought he missed his chance that the, the good old days were behind him. And that this was his lot in life and this is how he would die. See, maybe you walked into this place this morning and you, you thought, this is it. You know, this is, this is just another ordinary day. This is life. This is all that it's going to be. I'm going to work the same job until the day I die. I, I'm going to live in the same house until the day I die. I'm going to go to the same places every day, and this is it. This is all there is to life. And you came into this place thinking, this is just another ordinary day. This is my routine. This is what I do. This is just another ordinary day. That's the way Moses felt. He was out there, another ordinary day, another day just tending the flock. But that day would be the day that would forever change Moses' life. That would be the day because that was the day that Moses would encounter the presence of God. And, and let me tell you what, church, the presence of God changes everything. The presence of God changes everything everything. It only took one moment for Moses to encounter the presence of God that he went from, from 80 living in the middle of nowhere with no influence, with no hope, with his best days behind him, when God would change everything. And I believe the same is true of you today. If you could just have one moment in the presence of God, I believe it would change everything. I believe it would change everything. See, you may have walked into this place thinking it was an ordinary day, but again, one moment in the presence of God can change everything. So 
So how was Moses able to experience the presence of God? How, how can we experience the presence of God in our life? Well, let's continue reading. Verse 2 in Exodus chapter 3 says this. It says, There, in the middle of the desert, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. All right, so Moses, he's just going about his usual routine. It's a normal day. He's shepherding the flock the way he always does, and something catches his eye. Something catches his attention. And it was this bush that was on fire. Now, he's in the desert. He's in this hot place. This isn't the first time Moses has seen a burning bush, right? So he probably thought on first glance, okay, normal, another hot one out there, right? Uh, Things are going rough. It doesn't say what happened, but Maybe he stared at it for a long time and he realized something's different about that one because it's, it's not stopping. Like it's, it's still burning over there. Or, or maybe he just circled back and, and he's walking around again and he thought, oh, another one. You know, he circled back. Another, wait, that's the same one. You know, I, I don't know how long it took him to realize there's something different about this bush. So he decided to go and take a look for himself. Now, what Moses did here doesn't sound very profound. It doesn't sound it was some great step of faith. But, but what he did was, was crucial. He positioned himself in God's presence. See, we need to position ourselves in God's presence. You, if you want to experience God's presence, you need to put yourself in the right place. So you might say, I do that, right? I come to church every Sunday. Man, every Sunday I come to church, I position myself to, to experience God's presence. But every Sunday I walk in here and I hear, about, uh, I hear other people saying, man, I experienced the presence of the Lord today. You know, I, I hear the worship team saying, God's presence is thick in this place. I, I hear people saying, my life got changed. But then how co- why don't I feel that? Why, why, do I, why do I not experience what other people experience? What am I missing? Well, there's two things that Moses did here to experience the presence of God. The first thing he did was Moses saw. He recognized. He, he said, there's something different. There's something supernatural going on. See, the fact that you're in church, the, the fact that you're here this morning, I believe it's because you realize there, there's something different. Right? There's something supernatural that God is moving. And you could be at home with your feet up on the couch watching TV this morning, but you're here. So I I believe that you've seen that. You've gotten step one, that God is doing something. But step two was crucial. Moses moved. He didn't just see the burning bush, but he went to take a look. He went to take a closer examination. He physically moved. He dropped what he was doing so he could go investigate and see for himself. See, maybe you've been coming to church for a while now, and, and you've seen Right? And you've, you've done some investigating, just looking at it, and you keep circling back, and you keep circling back. Yeah, something's different. So, something's supernatural. God, you're, you're moving in people's lives. God, you're doing something in the altar. God, I, I see lives are changing around me, so you, you've witnessed it. You've got the first step down, but, but now it's time for that second step. Now it's time to move. Now it's time to go. Now it's, now it's time to take that next step and physically move, position ourselves in the presence of God. Let's stop just observing God's presence and let's participate in God's presence. So how do we move? Right? How, how can we physically move? One of the, I shouldn't say the easiest because it's a difficult step, but one of the simplest steps that you could take is this. 
just come to this altar. And sometimes that's, that's difficult. Because you, in your mind you're thinking, oh, what are people going to think about me? You know, what, but what if? You know, what, what, what do I do? Ah, no, I, I can't do that. No, I, I, people are going to think I'm a failure. Well, guess what? We're all failures. You're in good company, right? Don't worry about what other people think. People are going to think that you're hungry for more of God. So maybe today you need to take that step of faith and you need to come down to this altar and and you just need to to bow before God, right? You put your excuses aside and you say, I need to go investigate God's presence for myself. Maybe some of you, you know, in worship, you've been more of an observer than a participator. Maybe today you just need to say, you know what, I I don't care what what that person sitting next to me, I don't care what my spouse is going to say or what my kid, I'm going to lift up my hands. Just as a sign of surrender. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe that's going to take a big step. Maybe it's just get on your knees, right? Maybe you just need to kneel and and say, God, I surrender to you. But, oh, maybe it's just taking that one step. And it will take you from just observing the presence of God to being in the presence of God. Because you took a step toward him. And and you might say, well, I don't really feel it. You know, I, I I don't feel it. You know, I don't think Moses felt the heat of the fire when he was observing it over here. But the closer that Moses got to the bush, the more he felt. The more he felt that heat. And I think the, the closer we get to, to moving, to, as we move, we start to feel the heat of God's presence. We, we start to feel the effects of God's presence. We start to feel something different. So what's that next step for you? Maybe it's this. Maybe you've, you've been saved, uh, but you've never taken that next step of baptism. Well, I want to challenge you today. Sign up today, right? Sign up, for, sign up to be baptized because God is going to do incredible things. It, it may feel like a physical step, but something's going to break in the supernatural in your life, right? Something's going to break in the spiritual realm. So even right now, if, you, if you're saying, hey, I'd like to get baptized, I want to obey God and, and, and do that next step, pull out that next step card in front of you, put your name down on it and just check, I want to be baptized. You can leave it in the pew, you can uh, put it in the offering plate before you leave and, and we'll get you signed up. What's that next step that you need to take to to move towards it? Maybe it's uh, you experience God's presence here, but you don't experience him during the week. Maybe you need to just set up and create a space at home. That's your altar. That's your altar at home. It could be a closet. It could be an office space that that you've got. But you just say, God, I'm dedicating this space to you. This is where I'm going to go in. This is where I'm going to meet with you. This is where I'm going to pray. This is is where I'm going to go to you. I'm going to take time every day. Maybe it's, it's saying, I'm not just going to look at my Bible and pick it up on Sundays, but I'm going to read it every day, and this time it's going to stick. This time we're going to do something. And it's taking that step of faith to encounter the presence of God. Because if we want to experience the presence of God, we've got to position ourselves. We've got to move. We've, we've got to not just see it, but we've got to move. I heard a report this week. I was talking to somebody who, who lives down in uh, right where the Asbury Revival is taking place. God, God's, God's moving in our country. I, I love that. And uh, so they were, they were all excited to, to tell me about what God is doing down there. And they told me about this uh, a story of a family from Chile, the country of Chile. And this family in the country of Chile, they saw what God was doing in, in this Asbury revival. They saw God's presence. And this is something they've been praying about for a long time. God sent revival to Chile. So they saw it. But then they decided we can't just stop with with seeing it. We've got to experience ourselves. We've got to go. And so they took a big step of faith. They sold their car so they could buy plane tickets 
to fly from Chile uh, over to Kentucky and go in there and, and experience the revival for themselves. And so they did that. They took a step of faith and they, they went in there and they went for the sole purpose so they could pray for revival for Chile. And it was powerful. They got to go up and, and speak and share and it said they, the entire chapel uh, turned and raised their hands to the south and started praying for Chile that God would break out in revival. But that's because they were willing to move, right? I, I'm not telling you today uh, that you need to go sell your car and go get a plane ticket to, to go visit the revival. But what I'm saying is maybe you need to take the first step. Maybe you just need to walk on down to an altar today and say, God, I don't know what you want to do, but here I am. I surrender. And watch what God does. Watch what God does. Because here, here's what happens. Let's keep reading here in, in verse 4 what happens when, when Moses steps into the presence of God. Verse 4 says this. When the Lord saw that, that Moses had gone over to look, notice that. It wasn't, God didn't speak to Moses until Moses went until Moses walked, until Moses did something. So when the Lord saw that, that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Man, I want to hear God call my name. And Moses said, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses walks into the presence of God. He didn't even know what he was getting into, but he walks into the presence of God. And an overwhelming, I believe, an overwhelming sense of clarity came over him in that moment. And he learns two things very quickly. Number one, how holy God is. And the second thing is how unholy Moses is. There's a, there's a difference there. Because here, here's what, the presence of God exposes God's glory and our gunk, right? It exposes both of them. It exposes God's glory and exposes our gunk, our, our sinful nature. And, and so we see that play out here. One of the first things that God says to Moses, he says, do not come any closer. Don't come any closer. Why? Because he's a holy God and, and an unholy person is walking into the presence of the holy God. You know, this wouldn't be the last time that Moses would experience the presence of God. Many times he would go and experience God's presence, and it seemed like each time he would go a little bit deeper and deeper and deeper. And in fact, uh, God's presence is eventually what, what shaped and defined Moses' life. In fact, towards the end of his life, he said, God, I'm not going to go anywhere unless your presence goes with me. Right? I'm, I'm going to follow your presence. If your presence stays, I'm going to stay. If your presence goes, then I'm going to go. But I'm not going to go anywhere without your presence. It, it, it defined Moses. He got a taste of it this day. And he kept going deeper and deeper. And then it said one day he, he wanted to go as deep into God's presence as he possibly could to see God's glory. And God told him, he says, I, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name. I will proclaim the name the Lord, Jehovah in your presence, but you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. It says that God put him in the cleft of a rock. He, he put him in, in the crack, uh, the, the indent into the rock. And he said, I'm going to pass by, but when I do, I'm going to cover your face, because you, you can't see my face, but you're just going to see my back. And so Moses, even when he ventured as deep into the presence of God as he could, there was still that sign of, you can't handle this. Don't come any closer. 
right? God, God's presence, God's holiness is so great, we can't comprehend it. We, we can't understand it, and, and we can't walk into it. I, I look forward to one day when we get to be in his perfect holiness, in his perfect presence, but on this side of earth, we'll never experience that. So it shows us the level of God's holiness and his glory. It, it's more than we can handle. He also said, Moses, take off your sandals for the place that you are standing is holy ground. So again, this is a sign of, it's a sign of reverence. It's a sign of, of holiness because who knows what Moses was stepping in out there, right? So he takes off his sandals because this is, this is holy ground. This is reverence. When we enter into the presence of God, we need to do so in reverence. We need to do so in humility. We need to do so in surrender. Now, I don't believe this passage is, is telling us, hey, the only way to enter God's presence is with your shoes off. But, but again, it's telling us when we come into pr- God's presence, let's do it with reverence. Let, let's do it with the right heart. Let's come in knowing that we are walking into the presence of, of the King of kings, of the Lord of lords, of, of the God who created the universe, of the holy God, the perfectly holy God, right? So let's, let's take God's presence seriously. And then God says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And it said, when Moses heard this, he was afraid, and he hid his face. He hid his face. See, standing in the presence of God is like coming out of darkness into light. It it exposes everything. It it shows us all those weak points in our life. It it shows us all those areas that that we aren't right with God. Have you ever had uh, an unexpected guest show up to your house? You know, maybe your parents or your in-laws show up unexpectedly, and you weren't ready for it. And then all of a sudden you look around your house and you see the unmade bed, you see the half-eaten bag of Cheetos under the couch, you, you see the, the dirty sink with the beard clippings and the toothpaste on it, right? You, you, you see all the, all the flaws. And what's funny is five minutes ago, it didn't bother you. You didn't mind living in your filth. Like you were perfectly comfortable living in, in your filthy place. But now that somebody else comes over, now, you, now you're exposed. Now you see, oh, I didn't even notice how big of a pigsty this is. And it's the same way when we enter the presence of God, right? We're comfortable in living with our filth. We, we feel like, oh, this is just the way I want it. But then we come into the presence of God and it's like the light turns on. And he shows us, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at all this stuff that isn't right. Look at all these things that are out of place. Look, look at all this, all this garbage that you've got just lying around and you're comfortable in it. Right? And it makes us uncomfortable when we feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit on our life. And that's what happened when Moses walked into the presence of God. He realized who it was. He realized that this was God, the one true God. And so he was afraid and he hid his face. See, maybe you've been coming to church for a while now and, and you've been wanting to experience the presence of God in your life, but you're scared. You're afraid because you don't want to get exposed. You don't want to go through that process of, of having to deal with all those issues. So you're afraid to come into the light. You're, you're afraid to, to, to come down because God is just going to open it up and it's going to be hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. But let me tell you this. When you walk into the presence of God, yes, you feel his conviction. But you also experience his forgiveness. You also experience his freedom. You experience God's goodness. And I've never seen anyone leave the presence of God angry. I've never seen that. I've never seen somebody just get, get so moved by God and they leave like, oh, that was the worst. God just 
exposed all this stuff in my life and I, now I'm just angry. No, it doesn't happen because not only does God clean up this stuff, but, but he does good things. He gives us good gifts. But you can't experience those things from a distance. Let's, let's read the rest of this, verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of, uh, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry... Or, and now the, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And I love this, verse 10, talking to Moses. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses was 80. He was in the middle of nowhere. He had no influence. The best days were behind him. And he says, so now go. I am standing. When we enter into the presence of God, he gives us good things, right? He gives us good things. Here's a couple of good things that Moses learned in here. The first one is this. God knows where you are. God knows where you are. See, the Israelites, they probably thought, God doesn't know us. God forgot about us. It's been 400 years. We're in slavery. We can't possibly. God, God must not be real. God must. No, God knew exactly where they were. He had his timeline. He had his plan. He had a rescuer in mind. Moses just wasn't ready to fill that yet. It took 80 years to build Moses up to where he needs to be. So the Lord didn't forget about his people. And also the Lord didn't forget about Moses. Right? Moses, again, he thought, it's too late. I missed my shot. I missed my chance. I, I can't do it. But no, God knew exactly where Moses was. He knew exactly where he was in that desert. He didn't lose him. He was with him every single day. Uh, when my son lost his first tooth, he... Uh, you know, he was all excited about the tooth fairy coming, right? He, he was really just excited. He couldn't wait. And he had this loose, wiggly tooth, and he's like, I'm going to get a dollar. You know, I'm going to get something. This is going to be great. But the problem was, uh, right before he lost his tooth, we went on vacation, and we were over in Minneapolis staying at a hotel. And that was the day he lost his tooth. And he was so worried. He's like, Dad, tooth fairy's not going to know where to go. Like, I'm not at home. He doesn't know where I am. I'm not going to get any money for this tooth. It's not going to work. And, and so, you know, I told him, don't worry, son. I'll, I'll call the tooth fairy and let him know what, what hotel we're staying at and what room we're in. And lo and behold, the next morning, tooth fairy found him. And he came. And there was a dollar under his pillow. And sometimes I, I think we, you know, it, it's silly seeing in that illustration, but, but we think the same way of God. God, you don't know where I am. God, how are you ever going to find me? I'm in the middle of nowhere. God, I, you, you won't remember me. God, you've forgotten. No, God knows where you are. He knows right where you are. He knows your situation. He cares. He's there with you. Keep holding on because God's got something for you. He's got more. He wants to call you. He wants to use you. Because the second thing that, that Moses learned in, in the presence of God was this, that God displays his glory in our weakness. God displays his glory in our weakness. See, Moses, again, he felt like he lost his chance, like there was nothing more to life. And it was in that moment, that's when God stepped in and moved powerfully. He didn't step in when Moses was 40 and in the prime of his life and was the smartest and the strongest and the fastest and the wisest and, you know, all those things. 
He used Moses when he was 80, when he was old, when he was frail, when he felt like he had no hope and no future. That's when God stepped in. See, of all the places and all the times, this is where God called Moses. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to free, uh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And this is the moment that Moses became Moses. This is the call. When he was old, when he was weak, when he was alone, when he was dependent, when he was broken, when he was humble. It reminds me of the verse 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God says this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. See, all those excuses that you have, all those things that you think, I'm not good enough, that's where God wants to use you, right? That's where God wants to display his glory. Worship team, would you come? A few years ago, I was subbing at Simmons Middle School, and uh, I got to go assist in the gym class. It, it was so much fun. Who doesn't love gym classes? And uh, so they were, the gym teacher was teaching one of America's fastest growing sports, pickleball, right? Any, any pickleball players out there? And so he's teaching pickleball, and, uh, and he told the, the middle schoolers, all right, I want you to pair up. I want you to find a partner. And you know there's, there's two types of middle school boys. If you didn't know this, there's two types of middle school boys. There, there's ones that are about this high and talk like this. And then there's ones about this tall and talk like this. Like there's no in between. They're just either this, this high or this high. Well, two of the, the this highs, right, the two most athletic boys in class, they, they teamed up right away. You know, they, they, we've got this. And everybody else, they, they all teamed up. They all paired up, found the match, except for this one little girl, the least athletic girl in the class, the one who didn't have any friends, uh, the one that nobody wanted on her team. She was all by herself. And so they, the teacher said, all right, I want you guys to, to match up. Go, go find your court. Go grab your supplies and go find another team to play. And so those, those two uh, athletic middle school boys, they, they surveyed all the people they could play. And they decide, you know what? We should pick on the person who's the worst at pickleball. And they match up against this little girl. So here's these two, the most athletic guys in class. They're, they're facing up against the least athletic girl all by herself. And they start playing. And I mean, they just destroy her. They, they, are, they don't even let her score. They don't even have pity points for her, right? It, it, she's got zero. Well, eventually the gym teacher saw what was going on. And he goes over and he says, hey, guys, do you mind if I partner up with her? And so he, he jumps into the game. And uh, I mean, the middle school boys, they're athletic, but the gym teacher... He knows what he's doing, and he has no mercy. Pretty soon before you know it, the game's tied. A little while later, they, they've got the lead. I mean, he, he's just tearing them down limb from limb, teaching them a little lesson. And the last thing, they, this game point, they only need one more point to score. And the gym teacher, he plans it out perfectly, and he sets it up so that little unathletic girl who nobody wanted to be on her team gets to hit the winning point and beat those athletic boys. And that's kind of a picture of how God uses us. Right? We, we feel like, God, I, I can't do it. God, I'm not strong enough. God, nobody wants to be on my team. But he comes in, and he displays his power in us. 
And then the amazing thing is he even lets us score the winning point, right? Moses, here's a guy, he's, he's 80 in the middle of nowhere, no, no future, no hope. He, he's lost all of his, his influence in life. And that's when God steps in and says, let me help. Let me use you. I want to use you to do great things. Right? And, and God does all the work. God sends the ten plagues. God splits the sea. But Moses, he gets to stand there and go. And God sets him up with the winning shot. And he gets to experience that victory in his life. Not because of who Moses is. Not because he's great. But because God's great. And it's all because Moses came in and he, he encountered the presence of God. And it changed him. It changed him that day. You know what I love about the presence of God is we shouldn't have access to it. We shouldn't have access to it. See, the presence of God, God is, God is perfectly holy. And like we looked at before, unholy things can't go into the presence of a holy God. And because we've got sin in our lives, because, because we've messed up, because we've disobeyed God, we, we shouldn't be allowed to go into the presence of God. And even worse is that the definition of heaven is it's, it's God's perfect presence. It's God's perfect presence, His holy presence. And, and because of that, we shouldn't be allowed to go to heaven because we, we've got sin in our lives. We, we should go to the opposite of that, a place where God's presence doesn't reside. That's, that's hell for eternity. For eternity, that's, that's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. But the good news is that, that God sent his son Jesus to fix that problem, to make a way, to give us access to God's presence. That's why Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And, and though he didn't deserve to die for his sins, he, he died on the cross anyways because he took the punishment for our sins. He took the debt that, that we should have paid, the penalty that we should have paid, and he died for us so he could give us access to the presence of God. So when we call on the name of Jesus, when we ask him to forgive our sins, he, he takes all of our dirtiness, oh, he, he takes all of the sin in our lives, and he cleans us up, and he forgives us, and he makes us holy and righteous so we can enter into the presence of God. So today, if you've never experienced that, the opportunity is here for you. you you've seen that God's doing something, but I'm going to challenge you today. Man, run to this altar. Come find a place where you can just say, God, forgive me. God, make me new, make me clean. So if that's you in this place, I, I encourage you in just a moment, we're going to open these altars up. I run to be the first ones down here because God wants to do something great in your life. Because again, church, today, the presence of God, it changes everything. It changes that One moment in the presence of God will change your life forever. So let's not miss it today. Let's position ourselves in the presence of God. Let's not just be observers, but let's be partakers. Let's be participators. Let's move today. What do you need to do to move into the presence of God? Because that's where God shows us his greatness. That's where God uh, shows us and exposes all the, the junk in our lives that we need to give to him and say, God, do something great. That's where he gives us his goodness, where he, he reminds us of who you are, of where you are, where he reminds us that he wants to call you and do something big in your life. So let's not miss this moment. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to open up these altars, and I challenge you. I challenge you to move. I challenge you to go. You may not feel it, but let me tell you what. As you step out, as you move today, I believe that you're going to experience the presence of God like you've never experienced it before. 
So are you hungry this morning? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go deeper. Jesus, we surrender. Jesus, we're ready. God, we want more of you. Would you meet us in this place? And would you do the rest? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go. Let's chase after him this morning. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of